my guess is, is that your, uh, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your teacher, um, some good friends of yours, that, that someone, when you were growing up, uh, used to tell you, uh, sticks and stones might, what, like, might break your bones, but, but words will never hurt me. And uh, I don't know whether like, they were just trying to convince us of something that's not true, like trying to talk us into something to help these things not affect us, but I, I just don't believe that, right? Like, like, yeah, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words really hurt sometimes. Can I get an amen, right? Like, okay. So, um, so uh, last night, uh, Nate and Dana Edmonds, uh, they, uh, they bring us uh, for dinner their famous uh, tacos. They make this fried taco that is, I mean, it's straight from the Lord. I mean, this thing is like magical. I mean, pretty much anything fried is, but, but, but this in particular uh, is just unbelievable. And, uh, and so I've had two, and, um, you know, we're, we're all eating there as a family. And uh, I, I asked my wife, I'm like, hey, uh, can, you, uh, can you pass me another taco? And, uh, and she looked at me, and maybe you've had this experience uh, together as a couple. Uh, she says, uh, how many have you had? <laughs> it's like, is it any of your business? You know, like, give the, give the boy another taco, right? But, but, the, but the word is implying, like, hey, listen, maybe you better cut down on the fried tacos, right? She doesn't actually have to say it for me to infer that. Uh, similarly, I told you guys that uh, I had become a, a, a member of Club Fitness and, uh, you know, I mean, life gets busy, you know, and you start out making all these goals. You're going to run a lot, and, and then you don't like running, right? <laughs> and so uh, Heidi, the other day, she's like, hey, um, she's like, what do you think about canceling your uh, club fitness membership? I'm like, what are you trying to say? You know, like, what, what's your, like I, ha- I know I haven't gone in like six weeks, but come on, that $10.50 a month that we're paying is money well spent, right? Just to sit there. I mean, it's amazing, right? Like the little inferences that we share with one another, um, that inwardly, that, you know, it's kind of like, I, man, I think, is she, is she saying that, you know, I need to lose some pounds? Like, what, what really is she saying, right? Um, think of some of the most hurtful accusations that people have ever made against you. Think of, think of those things, as encouraging as that may be, right? Um, I mean, I've been accused of a lot of things in my life. Uh, certainly when I was young, and, and I would say still to this day, many people trying to shape me, you know, said, hey, you need to settle down. You're, you're too wound up. You're too this. And, and like on the outward, right, you're, you're, you're taking it in, and you're trying to take it in stride and, and trying to be okay with it. But inwardly, you're like, am, am I too loud? Am I too crazy? It is, uh, I remember um, some very precious uh, older women a couple churches ago that came up to me, and they're like, look, um, like you, this whole thing that you have, like just this crazy excitement thing, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's nearly giving us a heart attack is essentially what they're <laughs> saying. Um, let, me, let me say this to you. Uh, the amount of things that people have said to you that have hurt, um, think of how much greater the lies are that comes from an enemy let me say it this way, like, take the very, like, the very thing in your life that has cut the deepest, maybe it came from a parent who wasn't proud of you or her, who demeaned you, maybe it came from a relationship that they were, like, all of those things, think of how much that hurt, and now think for just a second, like, how much deeper a very real and present enemy 
uh, the power that he has with the lies that he whispers, the accusations that he makes. Um, it really starts to like sit me back a little bit tonight and say, what is the power of all of these accusations? Um, my guess is, is that some of you in your journey of uh, faith have at times questioned it. And I'm wondering what that uh, thought was birthed by. Was it birthed by just a, all of a sudden a doubt that had arisen? Or was it that in that ear of yours or through someone else, uh, the enemy was saying, did God really say? And you're hearing the echoes from the garden in your ear. Um, all of these are very real and present dangers. And, uh, and so tonight, listen, we're going to take a journey. We're going to finish up the section called the Supremacy of Christ uh, one of my favorite sections in scripture, the final three verses, 21 to 23. We're going to ask God to do a transforming work in our heart. And we're going to learn tonight what we're to do with these, these accusations, the words that hurt and cause doubt and establish pain. So let's pray and then we're going to, we're going to go for it, okay? Uh, so Father, right now, for your glory and for your name. I would ask that you would teach us your word, that you would convict our hearts, and that you would transform our lives. We pray all this in your name and for your glory, and all of God's people said, amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 21, as I just mentioned, journey all the way to verse 23, finish up this uh, unbelievable section of scripture, and I hope that some of you have even taken it upon yourself to memorize it. I know your favorite memory verse is Jesus wept, but maybe this one will now I'll be added to the, to the repertoire. When you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read all three verses and then party from there. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if, verse 23, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I've read this section over and over and over. I've, I've read it, you know, just about at every place that I travel and speak at. This is like one of the opening texts that I share in response to a great God. And this ending piece always seemed like an aside, seemed weird, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. But tonight, uh, all of a sudden, in the study of this text, it makes incredible sense. So let's begin here in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, dot, dot, dot. He's writing to a bunch of Christians in Colossae. You'll remember, a small town that has been diminished in terms of its size, that is in jeopardy of allowing heresy to come in and infiltrate the minds and the hearts of young believers. And so Paul, specifically writing to those believers, he says, next slide, he says, and you. Okay. Now this whole passage is talking about life without Christ. And I think your first argument would be with me that there is no life without Christ. But that's what this text is all about. What is life without Christ? And if there's any passage in Scripture that speaks right to you as a believer, it's this one. Because he's writing to believers. So replace the you with your name and we can go for it. And you. Okay. The powerful piece of this text is that the image of what this uh, portrays and what this communicates the weight of it, the heaviness of it, 
is so weighty. And you, he says, next slide. Uh, next slide for me, Andrew, there if you can. Now, th- this word alienated is, uh, is a strange word in the Greek. Um, this past week, this past weekend, I spoke at a marriage retreat. And uh, I, I, as all, you know, good regatherings of family go, we, we decided we were going to meet at Steak and Shake, okay? So I was coming back in town. Heidi's like, hey, where do you want to go? And, and the kid's favorite jam is Steak and Shake. Anyone else? Like, even though the service is generally, like, it takes, like, three hours to get your food, there, there's something about the combination between that shake and the honey mustard. I don't know what happens, but it's just magical. And so, um, so like a great dad moment, you know, I'm walking through the parking lot, you know, and I've just come preaching the gospel all weekend, and, and, and Dawson and Avery see me, and they start just running at me. And so, you know, I'm giving them a big hug, and, and then I see Maddox behind the glass with his face puckered up against the glass. And I can tell he's getting angry. And so I'm like, I'm waving him like, come on, dude. Like, you know, let's, we, we, can, we can all love here. It's, it's okay. And instead, I watch him walk away. And, and this has kind of been a pattern for Maddox. Um, he's, he's getting very jealous. He, 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 it's like the third kid syndrome that, that any of you guys have. It's like, you know, the first two get all my love. But, but the problem is I, I was like, I was wanting him to come. And he was deciding in that moment not to. And so because of his decision, um, he, in his heart, was alienated. Like, he, he wasn't a part of the crew. He, he was separated. Maybe even we could say segregated. Well, the powerful image, listen, that Scripture uh, talks about uh, this topic uh, comes from this text. Uh, check this out in Ephesians 4. Now, look at this. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Look at this alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their what? Due to their hardness of heart. Uh, What we say all the time here is God's sovereignty does not negate personal responsibility. Uh, We are all born alienated from God. And we are held responsible for that alienation. But God is inviting. God is saying, listen, whoever calls on my name will be saved, right? God is saying, come to me, all ye here are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? So God is saying these things. And in our ignorance, or at times hardness of heart, we've got our face up against the window, watching the love party, and not willing to accept the invitation. That's what he's saying to the church in Colossae. Remember the time when you were alienated. When you were separated from God, when you were in the state that you were born in, you were segregated, you were watching. Maybe you saw community, maybe you saw love, but you weren't experiencing, experiencing it for yourself. I just want to start out right now. It's just, you don't have to put your face up against the glass and make those little like weird kiss things on the glass so that your parents can take a picture. You don't need to do that. You can literally like come and be loved and experience grace. But instead, in uh, the ignorance and the hardness of our heart, often, uh, non-believers, and many, many of you remember this time, you're, you decide in your heart that alienation is better. And Ephesians goes on, they have become callous and have given themselves, you see that? Given themselves up to sensuality, greedy uh, to practice every kind of impurity. The reality is, uh, some of you in here uh, are, are this to a T are very distant from God and you in your hardness of heart and, and the callousness that's been built over yourself, uh, 
right now are completely alienated from God. That's how we're all born. As precious as our children are, they are born sinful, born alienated from God, born needing an unbelievable Savior. Next slide. Moving from alienation, look at this. And the next word says, and hostile in mind. So without Christ, you weren't just alienated from God, you were also hostile. I'm sure you guys have heard uh, people say, well, what about the nice people? Uh, what about the people that like, you know, they're, they're just, they're not bad people. You know, they're, they're really pleasant. And I know they don't know God, but they're, they're, they're like some of the most generous people in the world. Like, how does all of this work? Have you ever thought that before? What about the nice people? Or rather, what about the good people? I've heard people say. Well, thankfully, Scripture talks to this issue. Next slide, Romans 8, Paul. Thank you, verse 5. For those who live, look at this, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. How can you live according to the Spirit? Anyone? Only through the Spirit, correct? So the gift of God in salvation is He gives us Himself, the Spirit to reside in us. And the only way we get that Spirit is through who? Through Christ. And so only through Christ the Spirit comes. Therefore, only through Christ can we live in the Spirit. So anyone who isn't in Christ through the Spirit living for God is living for the flesh. Can we agree on that? Okay. Okay, so here we go. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So the good people not living through Jesus who are really nice and generous, all of their efforts are futile without Christ and leading to death. That is very, uh, very difficult for a culture that is trying to be very inclusive and whatever God you want is good for you. The problem is it goes against the Bible that me and many of you believe in. Jesus is the only way. And so anyone who's outside of that, the scripture says, is literally living towards death. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is, look, what, what, what? It's hostile to God. It's an enemy of the Lord. Uh, Jesus says all throughout the scripture, like whoever is for us is like this crazy thing. Like there's no gray area. You're either with me or not. Either against me or for me. For it does not submit, middle of verse 7, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, what's the word? Come on. Cannot please God. Haven't you ever thought that before? Like like these people are, like they're, they're so awesome. If they would just know the Lord, we say. And so what an amazing opportunity to pray for those people, knowing that right now their moral deeds... Their niceties, their pleasantries, their really awesome thank you notes, not done in Christ, are leading to death. If that's difficult for you to accept, then maybe your own salvation is just as difficult. Next slide. We see this affirmed in James 4. Thank you, James. Look at what he says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see uh, the ownership here. Okay? God is saying, come on. I have love. I have grace for you. Like, I'll change your identity. I'll make you a new creation. Come on. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Come on. Right. And instead, what James says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
So if you choose to not live by the Spirit, if you choose to remain hostile in your mind, then you are, without Christ, an enemy of God. I say all this really right now in compassion for those that are now like wrestling with in your heart, is that me? Uh, tonight and all night, uh, you're not going to hear something from me that is um, going to get out all of a sudden my like come to Jesus whip and, and, and bring you up one by one like maybe you've experienced before. Instead tonight, what I, what I pray that you hear is this unbelievable message of even though you walked in this room tonight alienated from God, you can leave this room a son and daughter of the king and therefore an heir to the greatest inheritance that there is. So if you came in here hopeless, maybe tonight God would change your heart to experience this insane and, and unbelievable amount of hope. Next slide. Uh, so this last piece of verse 21, describing life without Christ and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, the word says. So my big question is, like, what's an evil deed, right? Uh, so many of us grew up in a very, thankfully, like, strict home. And our parents used the words when we were growing up, naughty. Did your parents ever say that? You're, you're naughty, right? Like, you're doing naughty things. You need to stop being naughty. And, and our teacher then has this list of, you know, here's what's good, here's what's bad. And then our government said, says, here's what's good and here's what's bad. And then our friends say, here's what's good and here's what's bad. Like, how do we know what really is evil? How do we know what evil deeds are, right? Because some of you are, are, thinking, are thinking that you're doing evil deeds, and then others of you are like, I'm just, I'm confused. Maybe this will help. Next slide. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, look at this. What's the word? Unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Have you ever seen this passage before? So what does the text connect? Unbelief and what? And evil. And unbelief of what? God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's character. Anything that is anti-belief in who God is and then therefore a life that's birthed out of that is by nature an enemy of God and therefore anything produced from this person is done in, hard to say, but true, evil. Now, what Christians have done with this truth is uh, errant, to say the least, right? Uh, I know that you've heard uh, the statement, uh, you know, love the sin, love the, hold on, hold on a second, let's get this right. Uh, <laughs> carry the one, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin. But I'm not so sure that we've done a great job of that. Uh, why is it that most people walk away from conversations with us or from uh, opportunities to enjoy fellowship with us and they feel like um, that they're not just uh, uh, sin is hated, but that they are too. So what Christians do with this truth is very, very difficult. That's why tonight I want to point us uh, to this text. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, the scripture says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. And the scripture says, Guard you against the what? The evil one. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Satan is ha-satan. Everyone say it with me. Ha-satan. Let's say it again. Ha-satan. All of you are Hebrew scholars. Thank you. Okay. Now, interesting to note that the word for Satan literally means the accuser. 
that at the very core of who this enemy is, is this accusing, constantly bantering, constantly lying, constantly bringing condemnation down. This is his character. And, and I would say tonight that some of those accusations are 100% true. Uh, before Christ, without Christ, think about what your life looked like. Right now, if you were to um, write down, if I gave you a pen and a piece of paper, top 10 uh, sins that you've never told anyone about, and that if you told someone, uh, they would probably uh, end your friendship. Like that heinous, that horrific, that heavy, You can feel it in the room right now, right? Like we're all thinking about these crazy things that we thought. Or we're all right now thinking about these, like I, can't, I cannot believe that I did that. How did I get so low that I actually participated in that? That I allowed myself to, to get to this place. The accusations held against us are many. So I was thinking about all this, and I was reminded of the very first sermon I ever preached. I was 13 years old at the First United Methodist Church in Vandalia, Illinois. I knew nothing about the Bible except that God was big and cool. Uh, those of you that have heard my story, you know that, that this church allowed me in the pulpit uh, several times as a youth. And my very first sermon was reading this story. I didn't read the scripture. Uh, I didn't know better. I was watching my pastor read internet stuff and, you know, like read stuff that he got from the Christian soup for the soul, whatever that book is, right? And so uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to read just a section of what I read uh, literally uh, well over 20 years ago from the very first time I preached. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. There were no distinguishing features save for the one, fall, or the one wall covered with small index card files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles by author or subject in alphabetical order. But these files, which stretched from floor to ceiling and seemingly endlessly in either direction, had very different headings. As I drew near the wall of files, the first to catch my attention was the one that read, Girls I Have Liked. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on each one. And then without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its small files was a crude catalog system for my life. Here were written the actions of my every moment, big and small in a detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me as I began randomly opening files and exploring their content. Some brought joy and sweet memories, others a sense of shame and regret so intense that I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching. A file named Friends was next to the one marked Friends I Have Betrayed. 
The titles range from the mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, uh, jokes I have laughed at. Some were almost hilarious in their exactness. Things I've yelled at my brothers. Others I couldn't laugh at. Things I have done in my anger. Things I have muttered under my breath at my parents. I never ceased to be surprised by the contents. Often there were many more cards than I expected and sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed finally by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Could it be possible that I had the time in my 20 years to write each of these thousands or even millions of cards, but each card confirmed this truth? Each was written in my own handwriting, each signed with my own signature. Imagine me 13 years old in the pulpit reading that. And the thought as I read that, even the first time many, many years ago, was... We have many accusations against us. Like if each of us all of a sudden were brought into that card file system and you got to see mine and I got to see yours, it would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? Mark, I can't believe you did that. Like, Mark, how did you, Mark, you thought that about me. And they like, you know, try to pull it out and they're like taking it with them. I'm sorry, I I know I I shouldn't have judged you in that way. I shouldn't have, think about the heinous, horrific accusations that can well be made about you and I. And the whispers of the enemy. Hey, do you remember when you did that? Remember how much pain you caused when that happened? Heavy. And the reality is that's life without Christ. Listen, a nonstop, constant heart and head accusation. You've done this, you'll do it again. You're worthless, you're hopeless. Your life has no meaning. You can never experience love. You'll never be worth the darn. And all the while trying to smile through life with good intentions. And and as the old adage said, some of the best intentions are, uh, are paving the way to hell. So if we just left it here at this point, it would kind of be a hard night, wouldn't it? Like all these card files condemning me, all these card files accusing me, like what are we to do? Well, thankfully, next uh, slide. He has now, verse 22 goes on as Paul writes, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and what's the word? And above reproach before him. I really want to encourage you with this next text that will show us this next slide. Now, life not without Christ, but life with Christ is a second topic. Next slide. I want to begin with in his body of flesh. There's something significant about Jesus taking on flesh. And that significance comes from Hebrews 4. Check out this text. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, is yet with what? Without sin. So he leaves heaven, does Jesus, comes in the flesh, incarnates himself as the doctrinal word, and lives without sin. Is tempted, Scripture says, in every way. Let us then with confidence, because of this, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Next slide. Let me say it this way. Jesus is fully identified with God as God and fully identified with his people in the flesh. 
And so we have this high priest who comes down and who can sympathize with the accusations because he heard him too in his temptation. Hey, Jesus, if you're this, then do that. Hey, Jesus, like, are you sure about that? Like, I'll give you all of the kingdom, the enemy says. And Jesus combats the accusations and the lies with God's word, with the truth. Now, uh, this text uh, talks about how uh, Jesus is going to present us holy and blameless. Uh, when was the last time you had, you had company over? When was the last time? Someone, when was the last time, uh, American, when was the last time you guys had company over? Okay, last week, perfect, okay? We want to work on your hospitality. Um, um, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, so when Mary Kim opens her home, okay, I'm guaranteeing you that when folks are coming over, there's a good chance that at least some of the visible rooms are put together, right? There's always maybe, and I'll just speak for myself, there's always that one room where it's like, people are coming over, throw everything in there, right? And you're like looking around, all your stuff, like there's laundry on the floor, and you just like, you throw everything in there, and you shut the door. Right? And you never take people there. Right? Like you're not showing people underneath your bed, hey, come on in. Like, let me show you my home. Look, look this will be awesome. Look at all the dust underneath my bed. There's board games, you know, potential clothing, right? Like, when we present things to people, and our home included, often we're showing them, like, the, the best we got, the first fruits. Like, listen, I, I don't know about all these other areas of our home, but, but, you know, at least the dining room is somewhat presentable. I'm thankful that in the way that Christ presents us, there's no need to hide anything. No need to hide anything. You'll see what I'm saying. Next slide. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. He's got no reason to hide because now we are reconciled through him. And because he didn't sin in the flesh, fully God and fully man, now, when we are identified with him, we're reconciled. But what's really, really interesting is this last phrase, and above reproach. Can I tell you what it means in the Greek? It means free from accusation. It means what Christ has done is he's taken all of the accusations of your sin, of the enemy, of the reality of our depravity, and he has said, now in me, there is no more accusation. Go ahead, enemy, say what you want. Now they're seen through the lens of me, and I'm going to present them to the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach, because I am. That's why it's only through Christ that we have salvation. If there's any other way, then it's on our own accord or through some other means, but it's only through Jesus. That's why, next slide, I want to say this. Please, somebody see this. In Christ, the liars are not, are not accused. Adulterers are not accused. Murderers, yes, that's right, are not accused. Porn addicts are not accused. The child molesters in Christ are not accused. So every single one of us right now would be like, no, but the child molesters, they need to burn in hell. 
the most horrific sin. It's the most horrific thing anyone could ever do. But the child molester cannot run so far from God that Christ can't save him or her. Even the child molesters are not accused. Aborters are not accused. Self-righteous are not accused. Abusers in this room who have abused your spouse, who have with words abused others, they in Christ are not accused. Workaholics in this room are not accused. And you name it, in Christ we stand not accused. And I'm I'm sorry somebody, but you're going to have to get a little bit excited with me. This is an unbelievable truth. Without Christ in my life, I stand forever and eternally accused. With Him, everything changes. Every finger point of the enemy, every finger point of any other doctrine or idea or thought or religion will not stand. Instead, what stands is the person of Christ, His work on the cross, His ability to reconcile, and because of all of those things now, we can really say we are reconciled to God. If this wasn't exciting enough, next slide. Check this out, please, somebody. Revelation 12, that's right. Revelation, now things are starting to get real. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been what? Come on, thrown down, he's done. There will be a day where there are no more accusations made at all. He can't. Now that period of time for right now is open. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 says. He has right now power, but in Christ, not over you. In Christ, the accuser can say all that he wants. Your faith is fake. Your life is worthless. That identity that you think you have as a new creation in Christ is pointless. All of these like communal Christian things that you're doing is idiotic. He can say what he wants, but when I'm a son of his, then he can't take that away. He can't accuse that away from me. And so guess what? I get to stand tonight, you in Christ get to stand tonight, a freed man and woman. Freed from every accusation, freed from every lie, free from every thought. The problem is, is this what we're living in? My living, existing, journeying like I'm a man who can stand because of Christ free from accusation? Or am I giving in to this ever-pervading lie? Did God really say? Slide. Slide if you can, Andrew. Thanks, bro. Finally, in verse 23, we see all of the, the fruit of this entire section come together. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This verse of this section has always confused me. I've always been like, what really is he trying to say? Well, next slide. Here's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, there is a life without Christ, there is a life with Christ, and now... Because I'm free from accusation, my life is now for Christ. I, Paul, became a minister. 
Because of all of the things now that I have in Christ, free from accusation, I'm not going to choose any longer to be hostile in my mind. I'm going to receive the invitation that God says to come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I'm going to receive his love and his mercy, and I'm going to be a son and a daughter. That's what Paul's saying. Beautiful language, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now, this seems like a condition. The word if in general in our language seems conditional. But the idea here is that if you are in faith, then the faith will be produced because, or or works will be produced because of faith. Next slide. So I want to start here, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, this is really, really relevant to the uh, church in Colossae, right? Uh, The communistic heretics are coming in, right? And they're going to be infiltrating uh, all of the, the doctrine that they're hearing, the things that Paul's preaching, uh, the things that uh, Apophorus has, has said. Remember the guy who planted the church there? What he's saying is, listen, there is powerful truth. You must remain in it. Don't shift from the hope that you have in the gospel. Now, here's how the shift happens. Next slide. Start thinking by lying, I'll find freedom. Start thinking uh, through adultery, I'll find some freedom there. By murdering, I'll find freedom through the vehicle of pornography, I'll find freedom. By molesting a child, I'll find freedom and hope. By aborting a baby, maybe it won't be so bad and I'll find freedom through that. By seeking religious self-righteousness, maybe, maybe there I'll find freedom through abusing others. And on and on. We start shifting from the hope of the gospel when we start believing that these things that we no longer stand accused of, that actually these accusations benefit us. Start saying, no, 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 no. My life without Christ was better because I could just hop around. When the porn wasn't feeding me, then all of a sudden I I could go over here to this drug. Uh, when the, when the, the relationship wasn't feeding me, then, then I could surround myself with these relationships. When my wife or my husband wasn't giving me what I, what I needed, then I could go over here. And on and on and on. We start believing, shifting from the hope of the gospel, that all of these things will provide a lack of accusation. But without Christ, what happens is these things develop this massive card system that in the end will stand against you apart from Christ. Powerful truth in him, remaining stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, showing your faith to be genuine, not on your own accord, but on his. This powerful truth can become a reality. How do you handle not being accused? And I just want to just talk to the believer. How do you handle not being accused? I think there's three things that believers do. Next slide. It's one of these three. Next slide there, Andrew, if you can. The first is unbelief. Many of you are right here right now. There is no way I'm unaccused. No way. I 100% believe in my heart that God is going to remind me of that every single day of my life. That was so heinous, so horrific. There is no way. I'm not going to be accused for that. God's forgiveness isn't enough for that. I mean, maybe some of these other things that I've done, but not that. So that's the first thing. We allow that lie that the gospel isn't good enough, strong enough, sufficient enough, that in our unbelief, we put ourselves 
even though the gospel isn't, back in the place of accusation. Uh, the second thing that we do, and hopefully rightfully, is worship. I am not accused. So now I will live my life, like Paul says as a minister, for Christ. He has erased the accusation. He actually took it on himself. And now because of that, I stand not accused. And so I'm freed from bondage. The shackles are off. I will spend my life worshiping. And you're like, well, Mark, that seems weird. Like you're just going to sing all the time? No, you're misinterpreting worship. Worship just just isn't singing songs. And trust me, I love to sing like 4.30 a.m. this morning. I'm like bellowing at the top of my lungs. If anyone would have walked in and videotaped it, it, the the YouTube video would have gone viral, okay? I'm like dancing around my office. I'm like, you know, I'm like doing all kinds of crazy dances, right? Why? Because, because Because I'm celebrating in the Lord, but it's not just that. Our lives are worship. Worship is a response to God's initiation in obedience, in song, in love, in life. The other side isn't unbelief, it's loose liberty. It's man, I'm I'm free from accusation, so I'm about to live up in here, right? He's forgiven me, he's forgiven me. So look, a little, you know, a little dabble over here, a little sugar on top over here, a little feeding from the flesh, no big deal, no harm done, no harm, no foul, like I'm forgiven in Christ. Paul says, shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. Shall we go on sinning so that we can take advantage of the fact that we're not accused? By no means. By no means. So all of a sudden then, we have this unbelievable picture of what Paul says when he says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. In other words, what he's saying is, I became a minister of reconciliation with the message of the gospel on my lips And that message forever is, in Christ, you can stand unaccused. Hasatan will have no power over you in Christ. There's no condemnation in me, so come. Come, be healed. Be forgiven. Experience grace. So finally, as we Just look at how this all fleshes out. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now before we close this section, what I thought would be the most helpful is for the screen to go black, and for now you just to hear this whole section one more time. Listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and indivisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the what? Come on. By the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Remember that? Remember those days doing evil deeds? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you 
All of you in him present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister, freed forever from accusation. And to me tonight, that's worth celebrating. And so we are. We're going to celebrate tonight. I want to invite my friends up here, if you guys can come on up here with me. Um, this powerful truth in the scripture that talks about the body of Christ and the body of Christ being us in the church community. And so tonight, um, what we desire to do uh, was as a body tonight, receive this this meal that we call the Lord's Supper together. And so here in a second, my friends are, are going to pass a first the bread. And as it's being passed through the aisles, I just want you to hold it. Don't eat it yet. We're going to eat it together. Receive it together. But as you hold that, listen. I want you to start giving away the accusations in your heart that have been burdening you for years. God, I've been hearing this for years. Please take this away. I've been listening to this lie for years. God, please take this away. Let's use this time to ask God just to release us from the lies. So prepare your heart, my friends.